Hey everyone, welcome back to The Coop with Buyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Tessa. And I'm Jess. And today we have a special guest, Anne Larkin Hansen, the author of The Backyard Homestead Seasonal Planner, What to Do and When to Do It, is joining us. Good morning, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to be speaking with you today. Your book was the first pick for our new book of the month club. Yes. Uh, when I first got my homestead, I had so many ideas. And I don't know, when you first get started, you want to do everything. <laughs> so I felt a little <laughs> overwhelmed. So I picked up the seasonal planner. And I tell you, I have been using it for years. And I'm proud to say that it was my suggestion that this is our book of the month book. We have so many questions for you. So let's get started. What inspired you to be an author? First, thank you for choosing the book. It's, uh, well, I've, I've done quite a few books now and that one is probably my favorite. So I'm, I'm really glad it's been helpful. Um, yes. What inspired me to become an author is that I'm actually a journalist. And, uh, you know, I covered general items till we bought our farm in 92. And then I specialized in sustainable <clears throat> agriculture and sustainable forestry. So I had quite a few years of going around and visiting farms and talking to farmers and researching things. And it, it was just like the best job in the world. And this is as I'm getting our farm started. And one of the great things, of course, is if you run into an issue and you don't quite know how to handle it, you find somebody who does know how to do that. And then you go to do a story <laughs> on them and you get paid for it. And then you know how to do it. Smart. <laughs> it was just perfect. Because one of the problems back then was there was not a lot of easily available information on many of these topics. So you really had to go out and uh, find it and you had to work through some of the issues on your own. So that was all, that's the basis. And then I got a call from a publisher that wanted me to do a, a book on uh, small scale beef production. And then it just took off from there. So I got really, really lucky. Wow. Now, so beef production, it really feels like you have, you have experience in almost all areas. So it's clear that something like this was essential for both new and experienced homesteaders because you know, most of us that consider ourselves to be homesteaders, we don't have the full spectrum of different animals or property size. So how did you know that you needed to write this particular book? The reason I decided to write this book was, if you are a homesteader, if you're trying to do a whole bunch of different things, you know, the orchard, the garden, the chickens, the, the cattle, the pigs, we had pigs for a couple of years, um, how do you fit all that together? And how do you know what, what to do and when to do it? And you go looking for that information and it's very difficult to find. You can find bits and pieces, but I never came across any integrated source that said, well, you know, you really need to make your first cutting of hay in June. So don't plan on making your firewood that time of year. You know, just how do you make the huh. labor flow go through the year and appropriate to um, where you are in the country because everybody's seasons differ quite a bit. So that mm -hmm. was just a really fun little puzzle to solve for me. It's, it's systems management, really. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's an awesome 
homesteading puzzle. I love it. So how long did it take you to organize all the tasks that need to be done in a year on the homestead? <laughs> About 30 years. And, you oh know, my I'm gosh. Still learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning. Um, but to get it on paper, um, once I had suggested this to the publisher, and, and we were, it, it took quite a long time. It took me about two years, which is, I write fast because I'm a journalist. And so that was a long time to write a book, but I had to, um, I kept a farm diary just to figure out what in heck I was doing every month, because, you know, at that point, it all kind of just flows and you aren't thinking about it too much. And then I was still having problems of how to organize it all. My editor, Deb Burns at Story, who is fantastic, uh, said, you need a spreadsheet. You know, you've got so many things going on here. You know, we divide it into really 12 seasons. Each season is subdivided into three sub-seasons. And then there's uh, so many things going on. You know, you've got the livestock and the poultry and the orchard and the woods and the haymaking and all everything. So how do you put all that together? And that's why I needed the spreadsheet. And that's why it took me so long. So. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, even with 30 years experience, only taking two years really does seem condensed. You must be a fast writer. <laughs> so <laughs> if we think back to the beginning of your personal homesteading journey, you know, most of us, uh, you, you've got a starting point where you find a love for something on your homestead and then you expand on it. So where, what was your starting point and how did you know that you wanted to expand? You know, that, that is, I love that premise. You start with what you love. That's mm -hmm. just perfect. That's just perfect. And I just, um, boy, I just love animals. <laughs> and um, I saved up my babysitting money when I was a kid after my folks moved to an exurb. So it was a place where it could happen. And mm -hmm. I bought my first pony. And oh my goodness. After that, yeah. And I, well, I was 14 and sugar was great. And after that, it was just, you know, well, what else can we do? This is all really fun. And, um, you know, you keep trying new things. Right. So, it, you know, okay, so you started when you were 14. A lot of people are starting as adults, like, uh, oh, gosh, I can't wait to talk to you about kids on the farmstead. But uh, for us adults who are thinking about expanding, what is a reasonable timeline? Just just in years or months that they could expect to be able to get a homestead up and running? That is a really complicated question. It um, is. And, and I should <laughs> I should clarify, you know, we didn't actually get our farm until 92. And I was an adult. I was in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. um, so, and aside from the pony and some chickens that my mom had a couple summers and stuff, I really didn't have that farm background. So I felt like I was study, uh, starting with, you know, uh, willingness to work really hard and mm -hmm. um, everything I could read, of course, but you do kind of start from scratch. And when you look at what sort of a timeline you should be on, boy, that is so individual. It's uh, what do you want to do? You start with one thing. What is your cash flow? You've got to have cash. Mm -hmm. You have to have cash to pay your property taxes, um, unless you're totally off the grid. You need to keep the lights on and the heat. And uh, if you are off the grid, you need to buy all the stuff that it takes to get you off the grid. So how are you going to keep that going? What are What is your skill set? Do you know how to build things, fix machinery, raise livestock, grow a garden? 
um, and that all takes time to acquire. So I would say you need to be practical, you need to be re realistic and set your own timeline. There's no rush. Absolutely. There's definitely so many parts that need to come together, you know, and, and everybody's timeline is a little bit different. What do you think holds people back from making their homestead work for them? Um, you know, another very interesting and complicated question. I'm sure all <laughs> sorts of things. I once asked an ag extension specialist in, uh, you know, small farms, which we would probably call homesteads now. I said, what happens to people who fail? And he said, don't call it failure because a lot of them start one enterprise and figure out that it's not going to really work for them with where they are in life or what land base they have and stuff like that. And they don't go away. They try something else. So think about that. That's very encouraging. Just because, you know, something doesn't work doesn't mean you have to quit completely. You can stick around. The other thing that I saw that was um, discouraging for me back then was, you know, you see a lot of startups. People get their homesteads going and then they decide to um, start selling some of what they produce. And they generally have um, excellent quality and they go out and they go to the farmer's markets or they start, you know, internet sales and stuff like that. And they go gung-ho for a few years and then they crash. And the problem is they just, they run out of energy and time and labor um, before they have the money to hire what they need to get keep the job going. So that's a real tricky bottleneck for a lot of um, people who want to start selling farm products is you really have to watch the sustainability aspect of it. Can I keep this going at this level? You know, I'm 23 okay. now. Um, when I'm 43, am I still going to want to be getting up at, you know, 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning to go to the farmer's market two hours away and then come back and do all the chores? And so um, you have to be careful. You have to really figure out how much labor this is all going to take because as, as you get better at it, you sell more and it gets more demanding. So that's... That's just my personal observation. I think that that's completely true. And I, and I love that you said that because even myself, I've done that where you kind of, you jump the gun. You think I, I had success and now how can I make this better instead of maintaining and learning? So I appreciate mm -hmm. that because it reminds me about in the preface, you talk about these important things in homesteading. You can't do it all at the same time. You don't need to do it all and do things in their proper season. So can you share just a frustration or mistake that led you to realization? Because I think our listeners and Jess and I are gonna relate to this. That, that could be a whole book, really. <laughs> Maybe it should be. <laughs> oh man, I have talked with other farmers and yeah, we should do a book on farm bloopers because uh, <laughs> you know, if you're learning this stuff, you're gonna, make some outright mistakes. You're going to go down rabbit holes that aren't going to turn out so well. Um, I guess one of the frustrations for me was that I really did want to do it all. And uh, I remember my brother-in-law saying, well, Anne, you can't do it all. And I thought, yes, I can. I just can't do it all at once. <laughs> that made you want to do it more, didn't it? Oh. <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing I really couldn't do and I badly wanted to do was um, field crops. You know, that would be corn, small grains, uh, hay, the classic four-year crop rotation in our area here. And um, it just, 
I just couldn't put it together. Um, it takes actually quite a lot of equipment, um, which is expensive. And we did not start with well, any money at all, really. And, um, you know, and I was not familiar with bigger equipment. I'm, I'm actually a lot more comfortable with it now because I made a lot of hay through the years. But, you know, mm. to grow field crops, you've got to um, cultivate. Well, no, you don't start with cultivating. You have to work the soil. And back then, you know, we were moldboard plowing and now they're doing other systems, but you still got to have plows and, and discs. And uh, then you got to have a planter and then you have to have a way to cultivate the field to get the weeds out. And then you have to harvest it. And, and that's, those are all different pieces of equipment. And that is a lot. And I, it was just too much. I, we had three little kids and my husband, of course, wasn't into the farm. He, he had other things going. And um, and then I had that off-farm job with the newspaper. So I just finally decided, you know, we, we aren't a crop farm. We are going to have to focus on livestock. And that's what I did. But it took me a while. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely... I, for me, having my own homestead, the education and the learning and the bloopers are all part of the amazing process. I, I too, could write a book about the bloopers <laughs> on our farm over here. <laughs> there you go. We can collaborate. But you right? know, I look back now and yeah, there was there was times when I was crying. It's like, I don't know how to get this PTO shaft connected and, and stuff like that. And I look back now and really it was all such a joy it was just fun to get up in the morning and go out and figure out okay well what ha needs to happen today and the kids loved it you know they could build forts and dig holes and chase chickens and oh boy it was just it, it was such <laughs> a great way to live it's awesome so what does your homestead look like today and has anything changed since you wrote this book oh yes um and this is probably the coolest thing of all um, as you are probably starting to realize, um, humans actually get old and uh, lose a lot of their energy levels and stuff like that. And I realized a couple of years ago that maybe it was time. And, and so you spend your whole career building this sustainable farm. And that's the last part of the puzzle is now what? If I go away, will this continue? This, this thing I've built how do, how do I make sure that it's sustainable into the future when I'm gone? And so it was with much uh, fear and trembling that we put it on the market. Um, unfortunately, our kids who had badly wanted to keep the farm um, were not able to for various reasons, although they still have visiting privileges, which is wonderful. <laughs> and after we put it on the market and we decided we are going to price this so it's accessible, to a younger family. Um, otherwise, we're just going to get, you know, somebody who wants to raise fancy horses or something like that, which is fine, but not quite what we were looking for. And fortunately, I had um, was in touch with a young organic farmer down the road from us. And he brought his best friend from high school over who was with his family was looking for a place out of town to live in the um, because of the pandemic, basically. And they bought the farm and they are just perfect. So it's still certified organic and they have jumped in with both feet and they've got cattle and pigs and chicken and the big garden. And um, they really are just so solid. I, I'm just 
stunned at how well that worked. And they are taking it to the next level. They've already started with some direct marketing and they have become friends and they are just really, really fine people. So that that was the last piece of the puzzle. Is this is this really going to be sustainable? And as it turns out, it is. And I went, you know, once in a while they'll call. And so I went down this fall and I mowed the trails for them and um, lent, lent them a hand in the garden last spring. But really, they're going to be fine. And the best part of it all is they have four young kids who are so Aww. excited to be there. And that farm needs kids. So that was just fabulous. And I think you might be uh, my new hero. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you absolutely might be. I I love I absolutely love that you did that because as a young farmer, um, I think that it's part of our national culture that we have these people, we have young farmers in the world, but the accessibility of being able to establish and purchase and um, receive the education that they need to be able to continue that sustainability is few and far between. So for you to have done that, uh, I, I love it you've changed the course of their life and their children's lives, uh, making it accessible. That's, I, I just love that. I can't even say that enough. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah. It meant, mm-hmm. it has meant the absolute world to me. So. I bet. Uh, but, but if they called you and asked you to do one chore that would be your absolute least favorite chore on the farm, <laughs> what would it be? Cleaning the chicken coop. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> Hey, same but, here. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah, especially after a long winter, but it does make the garden grow. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so we talk about, you know, we've been talking about the homesteads and um, for me personally, I am a, a city girl that married a country boy. So I came from more of a kind of urban area. Um, do you think that an urban homesteader would find your book to be useful as well? Well, I would say first that there are books out there specific to urban homesteading that could fill in a lot of details and tricks and techniques that would be useful to an urban homesteader. And there's so many interesting things you can do, you know, from balcony gardens to mini gardens and vertical gardening, things like that. So that said, my book does not deal with the details. It deals with really the general principles. When when do you start your tomato plants? Um, when do you, um, when your chickens start laying eggs? Uh, when do you, if you're raising meat chickens, what are the, the, when's a good time to butcher stuff like that? Although you probably aren't doing that in an apartment building. But anyways, mm-hmm. it does give you kind of the, the big picture. If you need the details, get a good book on urban homesteading. So, but, or buy both, who cares? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, absolutely. That You should have a whole selection of books on your shelf from urban to full-scale farm. <laughs> yeah, um, and, I, and I should point out, if you're starting out, often you're short of cash. And so yep. don't feel like you have to go out and pay full price for all these books. Some are going to be available at the library. Some you can borrow. Some you can get used. If you got a Kindle, maybe some are on the Kindle. Um, so, you know, don't don't be cautious with how you spend your money. I know I shouldn't say that I'm supposed to be selling books, but actually I would like to get farmers started. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I, I can appreciate that part too, because building the library, uh, buying the equipment, uh, all of these things come with a cost and somebody who has hopes and dreams of eventually 
having something like what you built, it can, it can feel overwhelming. So that is a good tip. When you're in the beginning, see what you can get for a fraction of the cost. Um, Because, and this is going to tie into kind of what I wanted to talk about with how large your homestead is, because in urban gardening, yes, we can have things like apartment gardening. And those are true homesteads too. They just look a little different. But if somebody wants to run a functional homestead that's not completely self-sufficient, but can do a lot of these things, and they're just starting out, how much property do you think it would take for somebody to just have like a mini version, an acre, less? What have you seen? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, w- I would say, you know, one of the things we have not done here is define the word homestead. It's a real loose term. So what does that mean? Does it mean just that you are trying to raise some food or does it mean that you're really trying to be self-sufficient as much as possible? And I would say that you could say it fits somewhere in that spectrum. So you have to define what you mean by homestead. You know, what do I want to do? And after that, I would say, if you want to, you know, have the whole palette, if you want to do livestock and a garden and maybe an orchard and a woodlot and stuff like that, it depends first, where are you in the country? Uh, if you're in the middle of the Nebraska Plains, it's unlikely you're going to have a woodlot, so you might as well just cross that off. But um, one of my favorite books that really got me going, and it's probably a good basis to start with, is uh, by a guy named John Seymour, S-E-Y, or I'm sorry, yeah, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. He was a British author, and he did a lot of books on this topic. And the one he did was called uh, Farming for Self-Sufficiency, Independence on a Five-Acre Farm. And that is probably a nice lot to start with, I would think. And I found that book, in fact, I read it so much it fell apart, and um, (laughs) I should probably get a new copy. But one of the things he covers is that you can be quite self-sufficient. If you have neighbors who are in the same boat, you can do a lot of labor trading or with them so that one guy does the pigs and the other guy does the chickens. And that relieves both your um, labor burdens and then you can trade some. Another point he makes is that, you know, come on, we aren't gonna be totally self-sufficient. If I had to give up salt and coffee, um, I would die. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you got to think, it, you're not going to be totally self-sufficient, but you can be pretty close. And if you have five acres in a good part of the world, then that might be enough to get you going. So when we talk about defining a homestead, <laughs> mine is definitely defined by feathers. <laughs> I, have, I have lots of chicken math here and lots of chickens. So Speaking of chickens, what is your favorite chicken breed and why? Oh, wow. I I think chickens are the best livestock to start with. Um, They're relatively inexpensive. They don't take up much room for housing. Um, You know, they need feed, but not in the quantities that larger livestock does. So that's a great place to start. And that's where we started. And of course, um, back then we did not have quite the array of breeds and, and varieties that are being offered now. But I did, they were offering um, combinations, you know, assortments, you know, usually your minimum, minimum 
buy back then was 25 day old chicks and you could get mm. combinations. So five, five each of five different breeds and stuff. So I did that for years and it was very fun. My dad called the flock, the rainbow coalition, um, which was an old political term, but anyways, <laughs> um, and we are talking of laying hens now. I'm, I'm not, we, we raised meat chickens too, but for the laying breeds, which actually are smarter and have more personality than the, than the meat chickens and much longer lives, I would say um, they all have good points. You know, they're all fun in their own way. We had banty yeah. chickens for a couple of years and the entertainment value there is just <laughs> huge. Um, you know, there's no meat on them and they aren't the best egg producers, but boy, they were just hilarious around the yard. One of my friends commented once that she said, they're all just basically juvenile delinquents. You walk around <laughs> the corner and there's the banty chickens and they all look like they have a cigarette pack rolled up in their t-shirt <laughs> sleeve and, and a can of spray paint in their hand. <laughs> I could not agree just, more. Why, why, why? It's not me. It wasn't me. But overall, I would have to say um, my favorite breed was the Buff Orpington. I just, I, they're just, they're pretty mellow chickens. They're pretty maternal. Uh, they were just nice to have around. I really liked them. But, you know, I also like the Rhode Island Red Roosters were my favorite for colors. We had friends uh, that asked us to collect the tail feathers so they could use them to tie flies for uh, fly fishing. They're, they're beautiful. And then those um, barred Plymouth rocks are just also real solid birds. And so I, they're all good. They're all good, you know, but buff Orpingtons if I really have to choose. <laughs> That you know, I love what you said about bantams because Jess and I both have big bantam flocks, so we completely understand <laughs> what you mean when you say that. Um, so when we're talking about these animals on the farm with your kids, I, we we talked about kids earlier, and uh, both Jess and I and Meyer Hatchery itself, we think that having kids on the farmstead or the homestead or you know, just with these poultry animals is essential to their youth. So do you have any advice for families who are starting out that have little kids at home from your experience? Um, the best advice I ever heard on that topic was from Temple Grandin. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but um, I don't think so. Um, she revolutionized livestock handling in this country and is quite an amazing woman and uh, severely autistic but she's, she's world famous now. Anyways, I was so privileged once, she's one of my personal heroes, um, to have dinner next to her at a gathering, Mother Earth News Fair, actually. And, mm -hmm. and they put me with her because we share a, a common interest in cattle. But um, she had a lot of parents coming up to her during the meal and saying, you know, here's my kid and um, they're on the spectrum and what can I do to help? And I thought her advice applied across the board to all kids. It doesn't matter what kind of a kid you are. And she said, give them a job, put them in charge of something. And that um, is just fantastic. Uh, I, I thought it was the mm -hmm. best advice I've ever heard. And of course, that having, grown up, uh, gr having grown up in a family, a large family, I'm one of 13 kids. Um, we kind of grew up helping around the house because they needed us. And it just, it gives you such a sense of confidence as a kid to know that, hey, I can do this, I got this. And um, ownership, this is all great, but don't overwhelm them, you know. Don't mm -hmm. don't send them out to vaccinate cattle when they're four, okay? 
Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We gotta be we gotta be a little age appropriate here. So I would say, yeah, make them part of the enterprise. And then the second thing is, you know, if you're a kid out in the country, wow, you can have so much fun. You can dig holes, holes, and you know, go look for Indian bones or whatever you want to do. So I think um, you, if you're a kid on a farm, you really need to do some. You need to build some forts and explore and you know find bugs and start a rock collection you know anything that grabs your fancy just have some fun um one of the things i love about the four young kids who are now on our farm is i have never seen any of them with anything electronic in their hands they are outside awesome. and doing stuff and they are happy smart kids it's just so cool it is so since it's the start of the new year, what is your advice for someone who's just picked up your book? Dive in. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> I, I really think so. Um, yeah. um, I, I think that I just have one more question for you, and that's um, the most serious question in the world. Would you like to come to my farm and run it for me? <laughs> <laughs> The what the wonderful thing about having a farm is it's your little kingdom and you get to run it the way you want. I would happy to come over and be a farm hand for a while. You know, just tell me what to do. But you know, the decisions are yours to make and the homestead is yours to build. And that's so much of the joy of it. Saying, yeah, I don't really like Buff Orpingtons. I'm gonna go with the Rhode Island Reds, you know. <laughs> Uh, so you get to do all that and you can decide, yeah, I'd like to milk sheep, but I don't want to get up early, early in the morning. So I'm just going to milk at noon, <laughs> you know, all those little things. And you get to create such a, a happy working world. It's, it's such a joy. So don't, don't let go of that to anybody else. Just I'll, I'll, I'll come and, you know, I'm not going to clean your chicken coop, but I would weed the garden. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's, That's really what all Tess I is asking for. <laughs> she wants someone to clean the, your, her chicken coop. I was really hoping you'd say that wasn't your least favorite chore because that is literally all I want. Oh, that's funny. When we bought our place, they had a big chicken coop because they'd sold a lot of eggs, the people before us. And I don't think it had been cleaned for years. And oh. that memory is still green with me. <laughs> so. That's why they ruined it for you. Oh, my goodness. I guess. I guess. Yes. <laughs> so. well, and this has been absolutely wonderful. I can't thank you enough for joining us. I know that this book was not only inspirational to me, but just as well. And you've just been a complete joy. Well, thank you so much. This has really been fun. It, I, <laughs> I mean, I feel like we should adjourn to the local coffee shop and keep going, but I suppose we all have other things to do today. So, but I, I guess <laughs> I wish you all the luck in the world in your farm enterprises. And if anybody's trying to decide whether, ah, do I really want to get chickens? I'd say, yeah, get them. <laughs> Give it a try. What have you got to lose? Where will you Nothing. be in 10 years? Yeah. If you don't get started, you're not going to be anywhere. So get going. Just get going. It's absolutely true. And with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. Have a poultry-related question or topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Send us an email to podcast at meyerhatchery.com. Mm -hmm.